episode 29 of the DNC Podcast, Monday edition. So excited for the pod today. Playoff basketball is finally here. Four games today, Jazz Nuggets, Nets Raptors, Sixers Celtics, and Mavericks Clippers. How's your Monday going, man? Well, since you started it off listing all of the playoff games, I'm doing fantastic. I saw something this morning that it's like over 400 days since the last NBA playoff game which is kind of crazy to think because it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it also seems like forever because of the whole bubble situation. So the bubble was so much fun, is going to continue to be amazing. These seeding games were super competitive. Really impressed, honestly, with everything the NBA's done, the way the players have come back and competed. It's just been incredible. So I'm super excited to see these playoffs unfold. The best thing about playoff sports in California is there's a lot of bad things about California. Think about income tax and different regulations and things like that. But the best thing about California is specific time games. I have the Jazz at 10.30. Then I have the Nets, Raptors at 1. Sixers, Celtics at 3.30. Mavs, Clippers at 6. It's literally sports all day. Like, you can't complain. You can watch sports from 10.30 a.m. till 9 o'clock at night. Perfect Monday. I know, and you just said right before, you're once we're done recording the pod, you're going to hop off and you're going to binge watch all these games, which is going to be legendary. Are you going to have some coffee? Like, are you, are, when you binge stuff, do you like even get up and eat or do you just completely binge for the entire day? Normally there's like a break between the game. So like between the second game, I'll take a break or during halftime and stuff like that. Maybe I'll door dash some wings. I haven't had wings in a minute, dude. Like that's the one thing that I miss about like playoff sports is I love going to like a Buffalo wild wings for a big game, just getting some brews, having some wings. There's nothing better than that, man. That's like what I'm excited about. I was literally having this conversation with somebody the other day. I've been craving. I know we got into this debate like way early in our podcast episodes, but I've oh, been the, the craving chicken finger wing wings debate. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I just Wingstop has been on my mind. I know you're a Buffalo Wild Wings guy. We used to go to Buffalo quite a bit back in college. I remember those yeah. days. We used to watch a lot of games there, but um, there's really nothing like going to to a wing place and watching a game. So it is different, man. Well, Buffalo, you got to bring it to your house. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings, Wingstop, you can't go wrong either way. You could also make the same case when you talk about Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Both signed massive extensions last weekend. Kelsey, four years, $57.25 million extension. Going to be an average salary of 14.3 over the next year, uh, over the next four years, $28 million guaranteed. You look at George Kittle, sorry, George Kittle, five years, $75 million. 40 million guaranteed, 30 million signing bonus, 15 million dollars a year. And although I love Travis Kelsey, I think you made a good point. I think three or four podcasts ago, we're talking about the best players in football. Not only is he probably a top five player in football, he's probably the most complete tight end since Robin Krause. I mean, he does everything well passing, I mean, sorry, receiving the ball, run blocking. In my opinion, he's probably the most integral part of that offense for the 49ers when you look at situationally what they want to do, how they want to run the ball, how they want to pass, play action. He makes it so easy for Jimmy G. And the guy's only, what, 26 years old? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the thing with George Kittle is that I was even looking at some tape prior to the show when he was at Iowa. And the thing that's crazy is that he was he was groomed essentially as a great blocker because of the system that he was in at Iowa and they're a run first team. And so he didn't really get to showcase. They've had so many good prospects. Though. I know. And so the thing is, is that he, nobody saw him as an elite 
pass catching tight end because they didn't really run the offense through him in college and they didn't really pass the ball to the tight end very often. So it's the, that's the reason why he slipped in the draft. Same with Rob Gronkowski. I mean, he went to Arizona, so they they weren't like a high passing offense in comparison to some of the other Pac-12 teams at the time. That's why Rob slipped to the second round. So it's crazy because these guys are so complete. They're so elite of players, yet they're not going in the first round. And you see certain tight ends go in the first round over the last couple of years, and they don't even compare. And so, and then Travis Kelsey was actually came in as a quarterback at Cincinnati and then ends up converting to a tight end. He was a third round pick. So both of these guys have had, I mean, Kelsey's been doing a little bit longer. He's 30. So he's, he's had a lot more consistency over the course of his career because he's been doing it longer. George Kittle kind of burst on the scene two years ago. He was drafted in 2017. So both of these guys, you really can't go wrong. The thing I love about George Kittle is even in an offense that is run first in San Francisco, he's been able to separate himself as an elite pass catcher. Like we already know he's arguably the best run blocking and pass blocking tight end in football right now. I don't even think it's arguable, but hey, maybe somebody can make a valid argument against him, but it would be very tough. And then his ability to produce yak, so yards after the catch, is really second to none. I mean, you saw that game against New Orleans last year on fourth down when Jimmy Garoppolo hit him on that out route and he broke like two or three tackles, stiff armed a guy and really set them up to win that game late. And with Travis Kelsey, the thing I love about his game is that for his size, he's he's really athletic and he's he's very nimble. Like I feel like he's sneaky, slippery. And what I mean by that is guys kind of just bounce off of him and somehow he's able to be really agile and shifty in the open field. And so he's like the perfect red zone flex, like perfect for the red zone. He's perfect. Absolutely. And so, you know, again, you could pick either one of these guys and you really can't go wrong. I think now because of George Kittle and his age, he's four years younger than Travis Kelsey. Of course, at the end of this, this contract, Travis Kelsey is going to be 36. So again, for me, I'm looking at this if I'm a GM now and I'm going, okay, of course, right this second, you really can't go wrong with either guy. It would really just be a schematic fit. But because George Kittle's four years younger, you probably can get another five to seven, eight years out of him as long as he stays healthy. Whereas Kelsey, you know, he might only have another three to four prime years. And then the tail end of this contract, he might not be as productive. But in that offense in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, I could be wrong, but I'm just going based on father time is really undefeated. So it could end up being that situation. But again, really happy for both of these guys. They absolutely deserved it. Yeah, I love the signing for Kelsey as well, because when you look at Patrick Mahomes and what does he really need with the playmaking ability and stretching the ball downfield, it's that security blanket. Like everybody else in that offense to me, even Tyree Hill, they're somewhat replaceable because they're... yeah. The scheme is what makes them. I and mean, we've talked about this multiple times right. off air. Is like Tyree Kill goes to any other situation. He's not the same player. And you can get a lot of speed guys to come in and kind of fit that role. Where Kelsey, I think to your point, because they don't really use him as a traditional tight end, where he's not on the line blocking the same way George Kittle is, maybe his durability stands up. Because I was shocked, actually, when I was looking up. I didn't realize he was 30 years old. I know he's been doing it for a while. But to me, I was shocked he was that much older than Kittle, where you look at Kittle, how physically he plays and how dominant he is at every level of the game. That's where we really saw a lot of the injuries happen to Rod Gronkowski on the Patriots was it wasn't receiving the ball where he was getting injured. It was getting rolled up on the knee when you're doing an inline block and and that type of thing. But 
I, I love it for both players. I think it's an absolute home run. I think they're absolute game changers. So coming up on the podcast today, Cole and I are going to go into our NBA playoff matchups for both the East and Western Conference and tell you who we have winning each series and why. But before that, we have our pick of the day. For me, it's my boy, Devin Booker. I've been super high on this guy for the last month. And although Dame balled out, I mean, a 60-point game, 50-point game, I feel like my guy got absolutely robbed of getting the bubble MVP. And here's why. Not only did he go 8-0, score 30 points a game, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 50% from the field, you look at his roster compared to Dame's roster, and I don't think it's even close. And I think that's where I have to give the nod to Book. Because you look at the Suns, and be, besides Devin Book, you know who's the next best player? Maybe it's Kelly Oubre, who's an athletic wing who had potential at Washington. You know He's had spurts for Phoenix, but really never shown his full potential. You have DeAndre Ayton, who at this point... It's still really limited offensively. He's good in the pick and roll, put back game, doesn't really space the floor. And then Ricky Rubio has kind of been a journeyman point guard. Where you look at Lillard, he has CJ McCollum. And although he was injured with the back, he's still a bucket getter. So good offensively with his handles, his shot creation. You have Melo, you have Gary Trent Jr., you have Whiteside. To me, all of those players are better than the second best player on Phoenix. And so the fact that he went into the bubble, went 8-0, and they had a 0.3% chance of winning the playoffs. He literally did everything he could. You know, if the Nets don't sit half their starters against Memphis, they probably get the playing game. And so I feel like it's like, I feel like he earned it, man. I, I, to me, it felt like long-term, I actually think it's good for the Suns to not make the playoffs because, you know, if they can maybe get a lottery pick, maybe they get super lucky like the Bulls, I think, what, 10 years ago when they had a 1.7% chance of getting the first overall pick and they got Derek Rose. Maybe something happens and, and they get a lottery pick. But for a franchise that's been pretty horrific the past five years and a guy who we've been waiting to see, hey, can you do it? He kind of did it. And I really want him to win the award. Yeah, it, I actually disagree with this pick, but I think you can make a valid argument for Devin Booker 100%. The thing is, for me, is unfortunately, they don't pick the award, even in the the regular season MVP. It's going to be given to Giannis. I don't think it should. I think it should go to LeBron. Because I said this on the last or two podcasts back, that there should be two different awards. There should be the most outstanding player, and there should be an MVP. And in this case, Devin Booker should be the MVP. However, the way that the NBA votes it and picks it, they're going to give it to Damian Lillard because of his stat line. And... What's interesting, though, is typically you have the voters base it on a narrative or a storyline. And you can't get much better than a known the bubble, a team that was 100% counted out of the playoff run, beats teams like the Clippers, last second shot, buzzer beater from Devin Booker, and then they don't even make the playoffs. And yet the the Blazers and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic is back and... Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench, Gary Trent Jr. bursting onto the scene. So all these crazy stories um, were were kind of unfolding with the Blazers, and Dame was just at the top of that. He was, I mean, his last three games averaging 50 points. I mean, it's absurd, right? So I think when you look at it, people are going to be behooved by the stats. They're going to be blinded by the stat line that Damian Lillard put up. And even though Devin Booker put up amazing stats during his eight games in the seeding games, I think when you look at the impact that Damian Lillard has on that team, 
if you take Dame off the floor because of his leadership, because of his shot making ability, yeah, you still have CJ McCollum, but even with now finding out that CJ McCollum has a fractured back, essentially, that that team really wouldn't go anywhere without Damian Lillard. And neither would the Suns without Booker because they really don't have anybody after Devin Booker um, as far as an offensive threat. DeAndre Ayton is really just, I mean, we don't really know what he's going to be. He's okay. Like you mentioned, Kelly Oubre. So he has way less talent than Damian does. But I think with Dame, the thing I love is that he's he seems to me a guy that when he's when he set his mind to something, I know you saw the quote prior to, he told one of his teammates that, that they were going to make a run and they were going to get into the playoffs and then they ended up doing it. He seems like one of those guys that when he puts his mind to it, he's going to accomplish it. He's got that dog mentality. And that's what I love about him. And that's what I love about him. And so again, I, it, I, although I disagree with you, it's not a heavy disagreement because you can't go wrong with either guy. I just think the way that the NBA votes this stuff, it's obvious why they chose Lillard because with book, even though the storyline was there, it's not as sexy because it's the Phoenix Suns, right? Which sucks. But at the same time, I think what you mentioned was really important and very key. Them not making the playoffs might prove to be the best thing for them, not just from a draft standpoint, but from the standpoint of they now had a little bit of a taste of getting that close to the playoffs. And I feel like it's going to drive them like it never has before. And I think going into this offseason, if they can acquire some other talent to really surround D-Book with, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through free agency, I think this is a team that when playing well together, and they're still incredibly young. So as they continue to mature and grow, and that's why I think this opportunity in the bubble was so key for them is because they got a little bit of that opportunity. It was like playoff basketball for them. I think when you look at Phoenix, it's not like they need a superstar, and they're probably not going to attract one in Phoenix, but if you can just get him a little bit more scoring off the bench or just get him another guy, maybe a guy, you know, maybe Rookie Rubio can come off the bench. You can get him more of an electric point guard. You get him one or two more guys. The big thing is just they have to have that level of focus for 82 games or whatever the season is next year. It's easy to do it for eight, but can you do it for 82? That's going to be the question. No, 100%. And I'll just leave it with this. Your boy, Ben Simmons. Supposedly there's rumors that Phoenix might make a run at Ben Simmons. That could get interesting with him and Devin Booker. That's actually not a horrible fit because I've always said for Simmons, a one player he would play really great alongside um, would be a shooter. It'd just be interested to see what Phoenix would probably give up. It'd be a few draft picks, but I'd like to see that happen for sure. So my pick of the day is going to be a feel-good story. I think the last few weeks I've really harped on a lot of stuff in the negative. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down the positive path here today. And I'm going to talk about a guy who has really hit rock bottom and has risen to the top. And he's done it several times in his career, but this this has been a little bit of a different journey for him. And the guy I'm talking about is Alex Smith. Alex Smith, back in 2018, broke his tibia and fibula in his right leg in a game against the Houston Texans. And what's really crazy is Joe Theismann, who was the former Washington quarterback 33 years prior to the day, suffered the same leg injury is so wild to even think of that, just the coincidence. And Alex Smith, to me, is a guy that has persevered his entire career. You know, he was drafted number one overall. A lot of people thought that Aaron Rodgers should have been the number one pick that year. He ended up sliding all the way down into the latter part of the first round, getting drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And Alex Smith had a really tough go because at that time, the, the Niners were a really dysfunctional franchise. They were really bad. And he went through four to five different offensive coordinators in his first four to five years. 
the front office was a nightmare. They didn't have a lot of offensive talent. And really a lot of people wrote him off. They thought he was a bust. And then you get a guy like Jim Harbaugh who comes in and rejuvenates the franchise, brings a whole new culture to it. They get, they make some moves in the front office and you get some talent around him. And all of a sudden Alex Smith is looking like the number one pick. A lot of people thought he was going to be coming out of Utah. And then he gets traded because there was the rise of Colin Kaepernick for two seasons. And then you see him go to Kansas city with a guy like Andy Reed in that offense. And he's excelled. He was a pro bowler there. Then another guy comes in and replaces him. We all know Patrick Mahomes now. So then he gets traded to the Washington football team now. And it's going to be hard for me to, to not slip up on that. I'm so used to saying it, even as a Cowboys fan and their arrival. And I absolutely can't stand the Washington Redskins or the Washington football team now, but nonetheless, the fact that he had to go through 17 surgeries and due to an infection, he almost had to amputate his leg. And I look at Joe Theismann's situation. He had one surgery, didn't have to get a metal plate or rod put into his leg. So Alex Smith has gone through a lot. And for him to not only recover fully, be able to walk again, but return to the gridiron and to play the quarterback position is just such an incredible story. And this past Saturday, of course, they announced that Alex Smith would be cleared for football activity. And so the thing that really makes me happy is that Ron Rivera has made it an open competition. And if if he can beat out Dwayne Haskins, which I think he will, because I'm not a huge fan of Dwayne Haskins. I was not a fan of him coming out of Ohio State. I think that if he can get back into the starting lineup, this team was in the playoff picture when he got hurt in 2018. Obviously, he's not going to be the same type of player because he was he was a dual threat. I mean, he really was an underrated runner, and he ran when he needed to, not by design necessarily. And he's a guy that I think is very talented, and he's still got a few years left in him. And I think either it be the bridge to another quarterback or maybe giving Dwayne somebody to learn under for the next year or two could be huge for them. But I would love to see him get a chance to start. I personally think he should, as long as he's healthy, as long as he looks good. But it's just such an incredible story, and I couldn't be happier for the guy. For one of the worst-run franchises in all of football, this is an absolute game-changer for them. Because when you look at Alex Smith, I don't understand how at this point anyone cannot be a fan of Alex Smith. You look at everything he went through and did a great job painting his career, but he gets drafted you know, first overall and pretty much like after draft weekend, people were already criticizing him, saying they should have taken Aaron Rodgers. How do you pass on Aaron Rodgers? Flack, 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 flack. He's on a whole bunch of bad teams. He gets Jim. They make the playoffs. He look, he's looking really good. And then Kaepernick comes out, and he gets traded off immediately. Never really gets a chance to continue to produce in the system he helped create. He goes to Kansas City, and, I mean, we look at Patrick Mahomes now, and there's nothing you can really say. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is probably – one of the greatest generational talents at the quarterback position, but he goes into Washington, has him playing really competitive football. And this is the best thing that can happen for Dwayne Haskins. Even if he has to sit out this year, being around a guy like Alex Smith, who has been in multiple organizations, been around a lot of winning cultures and gone through the grind. I mean, he's consistently had to work at his craft, develop, learn new system after system. You have a guy like Dwayne Haskins, which because of the injuries last year, he was kind of thrust into a position before he was ready. I mean, he had the one year at Ohio State and he threw up gaudy numbers, but everyone at Ohio State throws up gaudy numbers. The system, the air raid attack, the talent around him. And when you have five-star athletes at every single position, offensive line, running back, wide receiver, you're going to put up numbers, right? And so you look at Washington, 
he really needs to develop the X's and O's, reading the defense, really going through his progressions. And so I think if he takes the right mindset behind it, and even if he loses this competition this year, he really you know, picks as much information he can from Alex Smith. I think this is great for Washington long-term. And you look at Rivera, and I think one of the things Ron Rivera has always been very fond of is winning football and team football and leadership. And Alex Smith, in my opinion, from what I've seen from him, obviously we don't know him, but what you've seen from him, what you've heard from teammates, everybody's a fan of Alex Smith. Um, nobody has anything negative to say about him. He brings people together. And in a time where there's so much negativity going around in the world and, and everything in sports, when you see something like this, it has to bring a, a smile on your face. And I'm just so happy for Alex Smith, his family, and everyone who's been involved in this process. So it's been 430 days since the last NBA playoff game, which when you think about it, it's insane. But Dustin and I are so elated that it's back. And I know all the sports fans across America and across the world are so excited that NBA playoff basketball is back. So Dustin and I are going to get into breaking down the Western Conference playoff bracket as well as the Eastern Conference playoff bracket. We're going to give you our picks for each game, why we're choosing our pick. And so we're going to kick it off with the first matchup in the Western Conference, which is going to be the Lakers versus the Blazers. So you have the one seed versus the eight seed. I have the Lakers in five. And it was hard for me to select five games because I really feel like Portland has been in a groove. They've found them. They've found their offensive rhythm. Defensively, I feel like they're very inconsistent, which is one of my concerns. But on top of it, the health of CJ McCollum is really going to be the hinge in which this swivels on. Because if he's not able to be 100% of himself, then the Blazers really don't have any shot. The other concern I have is Portland has exhausted themselves to even get to this point. I think it's great that they were able to close out the seed-in game or the play-in game against Memphis because if they would have had to play another game, that would have just been more wear and tear on their bodies. So I just feel like they've put so much effort forward to get in, which is great. It's been an amazing run for them. They've accomplished so much in the last couple of weeks. However, it just concerns me. So when I look at the matchup, though, if CJ is in fact healthy and the team is healthy, my concern is who's going to guard Dame and CJ. I don't know where you're going to get your defensive matchup to shut both those guys down from a guard position. Because when I look at, is it going to be Danny Green? Is it going to be Caldwell Pope? I, I don't know. So, but then I look at all, I look on the flip side and I see who is going to guard AD, who's going to guard LeBron on the Blazers end. So you have Yusuf Nurkic, who's probably going to be matched up with AD. That's going to be an interesting matchup to watch. I'm pretty sure AD is going to get the best of him, but it could get interesting. And then for me, the bench deal. And when you compare the benches, even though the Lakers on paper have a deeper bench, I feel like the Blazers are more efficient. So with Kyle Kuzma coming off the bench, I don't know what I'm going to get. He could give me 15 off the bench, or he could give me six. I don't know. J.R. Smith, another question mark. Deion Waiters, another question mark. Dwight Howard, you kind of know what you're going to get. He's going to give you probably double-digit boards. And then Alex Caruso is just going to be your hustle guy, defensive guy. Might hit a few threes here and there. But with the Blazers, I really like Gary Trent Jr. I mean, his ability to make the three in the bubble has been really impressive. And then Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench will also be a, a, an interesting matchup between him and Dwight Howard. So I just, my concerns go back to the health issue and go back to who is, 
if CJ's not ready to go, if he's not 100%, I just don't see how the Blazers pull this off. I was feeling really optimistic that they could upset them. I wouldn't be ups- I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I just if, if the Lakers can play consistent enough over the course of 4 to 5 games, it really shouldn't be an issue for them. But I could see the Blazers taking this 6 or 7, but my pick's going to be in 5. Sort of all of the series going to the first round, it seems like this is a series that's getting the most hype. And I get it. Dame's going absolutely off. He's at a historic pace, averaging 50 points the last few games, put up 61 points. I mean, the guy's playing out of his world. I have the Lakers in four. And and here's why I have the Lakers in four. Although I think Dame's a great scorer, I think... I love the way you set that up. <laughs> well, I was going to say hot take, but I've gotten some some uh, some feedback from from people that I that I say hot take a lot. So... Here's my thought, right? Dame's going to get his points, and I know Dame's going to get his points, but I also think historically we've seen LeBron, whether it was the Bulls probably 10 years back in Derrick Rose and different players in his career, where in the fourth quarter when they need to stop, LeBron will switch onto them. And so I think that's what happens. I think Dame gets his points for the first few quarters. The Lakers keep the game close. And then if you need to have somebody switch, you have LeBron switch to him. Although CJ is a great player, he's slightly undersized for the two-guard position. So if you put a guy like Danny Green on him, who's a decent perimeter defender, you know he has four or five inches on him. And then I think inside, where the Blazers have been able to kind of wreak havoc on other teams in the bubble you can't do that against the Lakers because they have LeBron they have Dwight they have Davis they have McGee you're not going to win the insides battle against the Lakers and the Lakers their bigs are really athletic and a lot of times when you have athletic bigs they do a really good job getting people into foul trouble and that's what I see the Lakers doing this series I see the Lakers attacking the paint getting to the free throw line I see Anthony Davis's mark all over this series and for me what's going to happen to Portland is they're going to live and I think ultimately die by the three because when you look at a guy like Melo he's just going to be throwing up three-pointers for you and so He's not a guy that at this point in his career is doing that much more than catching and shooting. Although Gary Trent Jr. has been great, he's still a catch-and-shoot guy. CJ is going to be really limited. So I think for the Lakers, you kind of give Dame what he has. You kind of shut everybody else out. And if you give me LeBron and you give me Anthony Davis, I'm, I'm taking that, especially in a round one series. Yeah, I think Melo, the impact of Melo could prove to be if everybody's healthy be the difference maker just because of his ability to hit big shots down the down the stretch but again just going back to it I mean they don't have enough to overcome the injury of CJ Melo's not there anymore he's obviously historically a great scorer but he's just not in that place in his career moving on to the next matchup we have the second seeded Los Angeles Clippers and the seventh seeded Dallas Mavericks I've got the Clippers in five and even though it pains me to say this because I love Duke Lucas so much I just don't think they have enough outside of Luka and Porzingis because when I look at Paul George and Kawhi, they're going to get theirs, right? They're rested. They've load managed over the course of this season for this moment. Defensively, the Clippers are far superior. I think the games will be much closer than people think. Maybe down the stretch, the Clippers would pull away in in, in the fourth quarter, but I think through it's going to be competitive at least through three. I think the only chance that the Mavs have for pulling off the upset is if Luke and Porzingis go off every single night. And what I mean by going off, I mean combined 70, 75 points. Seth Curry delivers from three, gives you three to four threes a game. And then somebody's shutting down or slowing down Paul George or Kawhi, which I don't foresee happening because I don't know who on the Mavericks team is going to shut down or slow down Paul George or Kawhi. 
And then you look at the Clippers bench, and that's that's kind of another dagger, right? So you have Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson, Montrez Harrell, Landry Shamet, Joachim Noah coming off the bench, right? So they're super deep. I mean, their their second string, their second line of guys could potentially be a starting lineup in the NBA. Not a very good one, but they could. Reggie Jackson's been a, a starter at the point guard position in Detroit. Lou Williams could be a starter on a really bad team. Montres Harrell could be a starter on a really bad team. So they've they've got they've got guys that can ball. And I just look at Dallas's depth and I'm really concerned with it. So I think they'll be competitive, but when you just look at the overall wins and losses, I, I think you're gonna see the Clippers win in five. Maybe even a sweep, but I'm gonna pick five because I think the Mavs can at least pull one out. Yeah, I for sure like the Clippers in this series. I could see the Mavs possibly stretching to two. My prediction is Clippers in six, and I just think Luka is so special that I think he could have a game or two where, I mean, we saw what he did, I think, one night he had, what, 39, like 17 and 19 at 21 years of age. Perzingis has somewhat of a size disadvantage for LA, and so if he can really be on his game, I think they have a chance of possibly winning two. But for me, the big question mark is, where does the scoring come after that? You have Tim Hardaway Jr., you have Trey Burke, you have Seth Curry, but can I even get a combined 20 points from those three guys a night? And then after that, right. there's a huge drop-off. And for the Clippers, right. I mean, you just completely nailed it. We know what Paul George is, and we know what Kawhi Leonard is, and there's nobody who can stop either of those guys defensively on the Mavericks. They, they just don't have the defensive stoppers. But then you go to the bench, and if you're just going to go after the top three guys, you've got Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson, Montez Harrell, Super solid. I mean, those three guys would probably start on the Mavericks. When you look at the positions they play, you probably start Lou at the two, Reggie at the one, have Luca play small ball three, um, and then you'd have Harrow at the four and Przingis at the five. And those are the Clippers guys coming off the bench. So I think the Clippers, the crazy thing about the Clippers is I feel like they've just been resting, jogging the whole playoffs. They're coming in healthy and they're going to be a force. For me, the biggest question mark series that I really have no idea who's going to win is the Nuggets and the Jazz. And the biggest reason for this is I know the top two guys on both teams. So I know for Utah, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Rudy Gobert, you have Joe Ingles to a lesser degree, right? And for Denver, I know you have Nikola and you have Jamal Murray. So I know you have those two guys, but who else is going to score? For Utah, is it going to be Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal? For Denver, you know, Michael Porter Jr. has been on an absolute tear, but it's been, what, five or six games? You have Gary Harris, you have Paul Millsap, you have Will Barton. I think I'm leaning towards Denver just because I think they just have more depth. They've done it a little bit longer. They've all been in the same scheme, but I actually have this one going seven, and I would not be shocked if Utah wins. I think this is going to be a really gritty series, and I'm really excited to see this one. I think both teams play really fun team basketball where it's not, like, isolated. It's not one guy doing a lot. This series, I think it's going to be really, really competitive, and I have it go in seven games. I couldn't disagree more. This this series, to me, is over in five at the absolute max because when I look at their offense, and I'm talking about Denver, you have a guy like Michael Porter Jr. who is bursting onto the scene, and even if he even if he plays at a lesser degree from what he's played in the bubble and gives you 20 a night or 18 or 17 a night, that's going to be a huge bump because you have guys like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic who are going to give you 20-plus probably a night. And then I look at Paul Millsap, who can still give you 12 to 15 a night, maybe more on you know any given night. 
And then I look at their bench. You got a guy like Bull Bull, who obviously was kind of the talk of the town in this at the start of the bubble with his first preseason Talking game. Talking about Kevin Durant 2.0 or what? I don't know, man. We'll see. And then Mason Pumley coming off the bench, who could be a solid contributor. So I look at Utah, and I look at Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And then after that, yeah, Joe Ingles, maybe Jordan Clarkson, maybe Mike Conley. Mike Conley's been super inconsistent all year. Jordan Clarkson is very inconsistent. Joe Ingles is probably your most consistent option after those two guys. My thing with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert is they're a pick and roll tandem and they're really good at it. But when that's not working, that's where my concern comes in. And so when I look at Denver's team, Nikola Jokic can run the pick and roll with Jamal Murray, but he can also, he's also a very effective passer from the center position. So I just don't see where Utah is able to restrict guys like MPJ or Paul Millsap, or even at times, who's going to guard Nikola Jokic? Is it going to be Rudy Gobert? Sure. However, I think they, I think Rudy Gobert is an elite defender, but because of Jokic's ability to pass the ball and move, that could be an interesting matchup. And then again, Donovan Mitchell, I think he could be a streaky scorer, but I'm not the biggest fan of Donovan Mitchell. I know a lot of people love his game. I think that he's fun to watch. He plays really hard super athletic, can be a great shooter from three. He could be, uh, he's great at getting to the rack, but I just don't see outside of those two guys, who's going to give them enough boost to be able to combat the Denver Nuggets. And in doing so over the course of a series, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are going to get super tired. And so I personally, I could see a sweep here, but I'm going to give the Jazz one game and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun series. I think it'll be competitive, but I think when it comes down to wins and losses, I just don't see the Jazz being able to win more than one game. So your pick for the next series absolutely shocks me. So obviously the last series in the Western Conference, we have the Rockets and the Thunder. My thought on this is very similar to your Nuggets Jazz. I don't think it's close. I don't care if Westbrook misses game one. I think the Rockets steamroll them. Like, I think it's not even close. You look at Eric Gordon's going to fill in Russ's role, and I get in it playing the bubble, but the one thing the guy can do is shoot. And so you look in the half court, I actually think it may help the Rockets a little bit in the half court having Eric Gordon for that game one because he's so good at spread, spreading the court. I know the Rockets are undersized, and everybody wants to talk about it. You have P.J. Tucker playing center. He's 6'7". Well, the one thing nobody talks about is he leads the league in corner threes. So they can shoot the ball like any, but like nobody in the NBA. And then I actually dug into the statistics, and the Houston Rockets actually average one more offensive rebound per game than the Thunder do. And I think a lot of times when you have undersized teams and you have these athletic wings and guards, they just attack the basket because they're so athletic compared to the other people out there. I just look at the Thunder, and I think they've been a great story. And you look at what Chris Paul's done this year, Dennis Schroeder, you know, Steven Adams. They're a great collective group, but Schroeder, he's been great. He's probably going to win six men of the year, but he's an undersized point guard. I think you can put Gordon, you can put Rivers, you can put Rushbrook on it and really shut him down. Steven Adams, he's a hustle player who will get you offensive rebounds, but besides that, he doesn't do that much offensively for you. So you're giving me Harden. You're giving me Russ. You're giving me Eric Gordon. Austin Rivers, I got to take the Rockets. I think it's a flat-out sweep, man. I don't think it's close at all. So we have the fourth-seeded Rockets and the fifth-seeded Thunder, and I, I have the Thunder in six, okay? And so 
My concern is, of course, with Russ missing game one, that's a huge loss for them. Is he going to miss more than one game? Probably not. But if he does end up missing more, this kind of solidifies my argument even further. Eric Gordon hasn't played in the bubble. And so what's he going to what's he going to look like? And my thing with Eric Gordon over the course of his career has been super inconsistent. And there's there was moments where you're like, hey, this guy might be really, really good. And then there was moments where you're like, "Um, I'm not really sure what he is. And so his effectiveness, of course, is really up in the air. It's a huge question mark for me. The only the only place that I see the Rockets beating the Thunder is in depth. I, I really like the Rockets depth, even though they're playing small ball. The fact that you got have guys like Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore, Rob Covington, Jeff Green, Damari Carroll coming off the bench is is pretty impressive. And you know that James is going to get his, right? He's going to drop 35, 40 a night, but that hasn't proven over the course of his career to be a winning formula. It just hasn't, even when he had CP3. And I still believe they should have and could have won that series against Golden State a few years back when they were up three to two going back home to Houston, should have closed that thing out. However, CP3 got hurt. So when I look at when I look at James Harden, although I love his game, I think he gets super disrespected when it comes to comparing him to the all-time greats or even the greats of of today that, oh, he he flops. Oh, he gets to the rack and gets fouled off plays that he shouldn't get fouled on. Or he's learned to manipulate the system. Whatever your argument is, I think you just look, if you look at his game, his ability to score the basketball is really arguably one of the best ever in NBA history. And so you can be upset at the fact that he's learned how to navigate the refs and how to draw, draw fouls and get calls. He's went to the line over 70 times in the, in the bubble, which is really, really crazy to think. So again, I know James is going to get his, that's fine. However, after that, if you don't have Russ, I look at it and I go, okay, you're already playing small ball. You take a guy like Russ off the court, even though Russ can be, a streaky score or a streaky shooter, at least he brings a lot of intensity. He brings a lot of athleticism. They can run. He creates mismatches and issues for defenses. And when he's not on the court, Eric Gordon's not going to replace that. And so I just don't see where you're going to get that extra boost. Now, OKC is younger and you have an older CP three, but the way that this team has played together all season, they've been a, they've been an issue for a lot of teams and Steven Adams, is I think very underrated. He's obviously not an offensive threat, but defensively, the way he grabs boards offensively and defensively is going to be huge for OKC. Shy Gilgis Alexander has burst onto the scene, had a really strong rookie year with the Clippers, gets traded to the Thunder, and he's been a great piece. And you have a guy like Dennis Schroeder who off the bench can give you 20. I, I just, I think where it's going to come down to is the starting lineups. I think the bench, you got to give the nod to the Rockets. Because outside of Dennis Schroeder, I just don't really know who OKC is going to go to. But the starting lineups are going to be interesting because you got Gallinari, you got CP3, you got Shy Gilgis Alexander. And then you look at Houston and you've got, you're playing small ball. So you're going to have Eric Gordon, you're going to have James Harden, you have PJ Tucker at the five. And so it just concerns me from that standpoint. But if the Rockets can stay close or have a slight lead, when they're rotating to their bench, it would be hard for OKC, I believe, to pull this off. But just my gut and based on eye test, I feel like the Thunder have a really good shot and I'm giving them the W in six.
So moving to the Eastern Conference, I find at least these first round matchups not anywhere as enjoyable as the Western Conference. So we'll get into the first matchup. You got the Bucks and the Magic. I honestly don't really know what to talk about for this series because this is how I see it playing out. I think Giannis and Chris Middleton will play about 25 minutes a night. They're going to win each game by 10 to 15 points, and it's going to be a sweep. You look at the Magic, and they just don't have anybody in the half court to run their offense through. I mean, they have Nikola Vucevic, who is a center, who's an old-school center, back-to-the-basket guy. You look at Eric Gordon, and he's explosive, but he's just never been the type of game-changer they thought when they're going to draft him out of Arizona. I don't see how the Magic not even don't – I don't see the Magic even win one game. Like, to me, this isn't a series – in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. You obviously have the one-seeded Bucks and the eighth-seeded Magic. It, it really, it's a sweep. I, I have the Bucks in four. There's just, when you look at Orlando, they don't have an offensive threat, right? Aaron Gordon's a nice player, but he's not going to be enough to push this team over the edge to get them into the win column. Milwaukee's elite defensively. You've got Giannis, who will probably end up being the MVP of the league. Chris Middleton is a great defensive player. Also can give you 20-25 a night. You got Brooke Lopez. I mean, the Bledsoe being out, I think, is is going to hurt them down the stretch. But nonetheless, I mean, I don't see how Orlando wins even one game, So let alone an upset. So moving on to the next matchup. So we have the second-seeded Raptors and the seventh-seeded Brooklyn Nets. I have the Raptors in four. <laughs> so another series for me that with the Nets, of course, not having Kyrie and KD, Chris LeVert's been a really fun story, been fun to watch in the bubble. But outside of that, I mean, where is Brooklyn going to be able to put together a run or put together some sort of scoring offensively that is really anemic when you look at their their offense and you look at their roster? And with with Toronto, they're so elite defensively, the way they're able to switch up their defensive schemes. And I think the thing that really impresses me with Toronto is that they play high IQ basketball. And that, to me, when you have a team that doesn't have any offensive weapons, is going to pose a, a huge problem for them. So I have the Raptors in four. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. The Nets decided they weren't going to show up for the bubble when they had Kyrie and Katie stay home. So they, they never planned on making the playoffs. I think they were somewhat locked in based upon how seeding was when they got there. But this is going to be over in four. I kind of wish... We should just give the Bucks and the Raptors like a bye. Just just take seven days off, get healthy, get rested. We know what's going to happen. Celtics, Sixers, I feel like it could be entertaining, but I still, I find it really hard to see the Celtics not winning. I, I have the Celtics in five. I think Joel has one game where he goes absolutely bonkers. Like he has 45, 15, and 10, like that type of night. I could see him just having one game where he, he goes like old school Shaq status, like, Lakers magic days, but you look at the Sixers roster and they're already flawed to begin with. They lose Ben Simmons, who at least is a good athlete. He's great for them in transition. So once you lose him, now you have to play Al Horford and Joel Embiid together more often. And they were already a really bad fit, but based upon your lack of depth, you have to play them together. And then you look at the Celtics and they're just deep. I mean, they've been inconsistent because they're young, but you look at that talent. You have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Haywood, Ennis Kanter, Marcus Smart, and Kimba Walker, I don't see in any scenario the Celtics losing this series. I think the Sixers may win one if Joel has his game. I know he just recently released his shoe, which why do sneaker brands continue to make shoes for big men? It never worked. Like if Shaq couldn't sell shoes, how is Joel Embiid going to sell shoes? I don't get it. But 
With that being said, I have the Celtics in five in a not very competitive series. Well, it's because it's Under Armour. I mean, they have to. I mean, they have Steph Curry, but it's like, who who buys Under Armour? That's the one knock on Tom Brady. That I, Tommy's my guy. He's the goat. But if there's one way, there's one thing you knock Tommy on. It's how do you size with Under Armour? There's been all these sick pictures over the, like the last two weeks of him and his visor. And then you look at his cleats and I'm like, dude, they make LeBron's basketball shoes look good. They're so ugly. They look like offensive lineman shoes you get when you're five. They're like the Pop Warner shoes your mom gets because she doesn't want to buy you the expensive ones. It's like, oh, these ones are on sale. They look like snowboarding boots. They cost $35 and you're playing flag football. Let's get these. And this is what the greatest quarterback of all time wears every single day to practice in a game. And it's absolutely disgusting. No, it's true. Like, you don't buy Under Armour. Like the only thing from Under Armour that I've ever bought is when they originally first came out and they literally were Under Armour. So it was like long sleeves that you wore under your jerseys. They were great. Then they expanded their brand, which is fine. Like you're growing, you're developing. I get that. But I've never once in my mind thought, hey, I need to get Under Armour cleats or I need to get Under Armour basketball shoes. Not one time. So anyway, we're taking shots at Under Armour. Sorry. But we have to because it's just a fact. When I look at this series, so you obviously look at the matchup, right? And I think on paper you could go, oh, this is this could be a lot closer than people would want to give it credit. But you obviously have the three-seeded Celtics and the six-seeded Sixers. Even with Ben Simmons, I'm still taking the, the Celtics. The Celtics, in my opinion, win this in six. It could be five. I was kind of going back and forth when I was going through my, my, pre, my pre-show studying. And – but – I think that there's at least two games where Joel Embiid, to your credit, that Joel Embiid can carry this team. And with Tobias Harris and Al Horford, even though all season they've been super inconsistent, I think they can muster enough together to win a couple games. And the only reason I say that is because at this stage with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're still, they they can give you inconsistent nights. And that's, that's my one concern for them in terms of sweeping this team, right? Because if both those guys are on for four games, it's going to be really tough for the Sixers to win a game here. But because I'm betting on the fact that one, if not both of those guys are going to have an off night, which is fine because they're both super young and they're still growing and developing and they haven't had a ton of playoff experience. But when I just look at the overall matchup, I think, again, you alluded to it. The depth of the Celtics is insane. It's absolutely absurd. And so I just look at guys like Marcus Bart coming off the bench. Who is going to be defensively? He arguably could be a defensive player of the year. He's obviously not a finalist, but he's such an elite defender. And then you have a guy like Ennis Cantor coming off the bench. And then you you got guys like Kemba, Jalen, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. I mean, it's I, I just don't see where the Sixers are going to be able to combat that. And, I mean, again, I think Joel Embiid will get his night in and night out. Of course, I think there will be a few nights where he really has an elite night. But outside of that, I mean, Tobias Harris, to me, was really, really solid with the Clippers. And then he goes to the Sixers. and. He's really been he's been okay. He's been streaky at times. And then Al Horford, you said this a few episodes back, but I don't see the fit here. I don't know why they signed him. I thought he was a way better fit in Boston. But hey, maybe that'll prove to be a, a benefit to them because he'll have some sort of knowledge, of course, of Brad Stevens' scheme and maybe give give the Sixers some insight. But again, even still, I, I see the Celtics in five. I chose it in six, but that's only because I'm betting on the fact that Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are going to have two off nights. Moving on to the next matchup, we have the fourth-seeded Pacers and the fifth-seeded Miami Heat. This one for me, and I think we see eye-to-eye on this, 
is I have the Heat in five. And I think the Pacers are fun. TJ Warren's had an incredible run in the bubble. Maybe he gives you one more of those games to get you a win. But Miami might be the deepest team in the bubble. I mean, just look at their squad, right? Just off the bench, you have Tyler Hero, you have Jameson Crowder, you have Kelly Olenek, you have Andre Godala, you have Duncan Robinson. And I'm just like, where off the bench? Like those guys could start on a, on another squad. I mean, it's incredible. So then you look at their starting lineup and you have guys like Jimmy Butler, you have guys like Bam Adebayo, Kendrick Nunn. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be a massive issue for Indiana. I just don't see, even with Sabonis, Oladipo, again, he hasn't really been the same player coming off of his injury. Malcolm Brogdon's an okay player. I think, look, I think they play really well together. I think they get a lot more flack than they deserve. I just think this was a horrible matchup for them. If they would have faced off against, of course, like Orlando or the Nets, then I would pick them. But I think Miami's going to make a run at the finals. So I just think they had a horrible first round matchup. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I was thinking Heat and six, but I'm like, if they lose more than one game, I would be absolutely shocked. And I think the big takeaway for me is, I think Victor Oladipo is a great player. He's just not healthy. He hasn't been the same player that he was since he's tore his ACL. I think he'll make a full recovery probably next season. But without him being that number one option, they're not the same team. And a lot of people may not know this, but I think before the bubble, um, TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler kind of got in a spat back in the day. And Jimmy Butler went all out calling him trash, saying he wasn't his league. And although TJ Warren has been an absolute machine in the bubble, Butler held him to like 13 points. So I think Butler takes this personal. Um, I like Butler in the matchup. I think he's a freak defensively. He kind of has some of that Kobe in him where he's just a dog and he's a fighter and he's going to give you everything. That's what I love about this Miami team is they just got a lot of dogs. It's not a big ego team. You have guys who are just willing to do everything it takes to win. They play team basketball. You have some nights where Duncan Robinson's giving you 18 points all from threes. You have a Kendrick Nunn night. You have Jimmy Butler and Bam consistently. You have a Tyler Hero night where he's hitting threes. You have Drogic, who was a really good point guard in the league for probably five to ten years for with Phoenix, and now he's taking that six-man role off the bench, really leading that backup unit. They're going to be a really intriguing team to watch because um, who would they have next? If they win this series, they're going to have the Bucks. You, I don't think you can give it to the Bucks. I think a lot of people are going to take the Bucks. You know, they have Giannis. They're they're the favorite in some people's mind to win the finals. Miami's going to be an interesting matchup for them because you put Bam on Giannis. He has strength to match with that length. That's a series that hopefully we'll be able to see the next round. I'd be shocked if we don't see it. And that one I have going seven, but we'll probably talk about that in future pods to come. Those are our picks and we're sticking to it. And that's going to wrap things up for episode 29 of the DNC podcast. Again, thank you for tuning in each and every week, Mondays and Fridays. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, share with your family and friends. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DNC podcast. Drop in our direct message. Let us know different topic ideas you might have, questions you would have that you would love for us to answer on the show. We'll be sure to cover that in our DC inbox segment. And we're super excited for Friday's episode and we'll see you then.